Isn't it grand to be able to come together today, this first day of the week, this final Sunday in the month of May? We're certainly honored that God has blessed us with the opportunity to assemble today, and our heartfelt wish is that our service will be pleasing to Him first and foremost, and certainly after that it'll be a blessing to each of us as well. Thankful indeed for Brother Dennis and also Brother Andrew filling in so capably last Sunday. Uh, certainly thankful for the lessons they delivered, the classes that, that were taught. I know that each that were here and able to hear those things have been encouraged and blessed by them. And don't forget that the lessons are all on the internet. So if you do happen to miss one for some reason beyond your control, certainly pull that up, listen to it. It'll certainly be a blessing to you for sure. Today, as we come to this Sunday, you probably already have noticed that authority will be a part of our discussion again today. May I again make an invitation to the ladies' Bible class tomorrow, uh, sorry, two days from today, Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Uh, class, of course, in the back, and they have been studying authority now since uh, the latter part of last year. Many grand and beautiful lessons, penetrating to be sure, and that will continue this coming Tuesday as well. So ladies, please keep that in mind and come and be a part of it. You'll be encouraged and you'll be strengthened by the study. May I say that as we discuss it today, hopefully what we shall study concerning this topic will be of help as you make preparation for, for that study on Tuesday evening. The authority of elders. By making mention of that title, maybe many things have already crossed your mind. What's meant by that? What's involved in, as you speak about the authority of elders? Well, certainly, this opening slide will be one that I hope will put before us at least a few of the ideas that will guide us through the remainder of our study. The Word of God has a great deal to say about not only the eldership, but the authority that those men wield. And today, as we and I discuss that together, and again, it'll also be a component to the study Tuesday night for the ladies, but I believe as you and I study it together, we're going to come across a number of ideas that in many cases are misunderstood. Things that quite often are perceived by those who at least think about the eldership, but we find the Bible has something different to say. Perhaps a case in point, this is going to be a faith-building study. It'll be encouraging, but by the same token, maybe we can set aside some misconceptions. Let's divide the sermon into a few parts. First of all, let's devote a few moments at least to a reminder, an appreciation one more time about the reality of the eldership. So we aren't talking about a man in particular, but rather what about the existence of the eldership? Let's begin it like this. The Word of God identifies that, of course, in a congregation, there may be lots of men and women and children, even those that are younger and older. But there's something rather unique about the office of the elder. And make note, I did use the word office. There are men in a congregation, but if a man occupies the eldership, he occupies a separate office than just an ordinary Christian, you might say, in the congregation. There's an office known as the office of the elder. Now may I say that there's also the office of the deacon, but we're not discussing that today. The office of the elder. In particular, might you note with me in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, 
an elder, he desires a good thing. That is to say, there is a placement. There is an occupying office. And if a man occupies it, it's a good thing. It's a good work. It's something to strive for. Keeping that in mind, look at where else it naturally leads us. The Word of God has a number of words that are used to describe that man that would serve as an elder. Some verses refer to him as an elder. Others refer to him as a bishop. Others call him a presbyter. Others call him an overseer. You get a sense then that as those terms are used, they describe some facet of the work that he does. Perhaps one of the keenest ones is the word pastor. I know well, as do you, that the denominational world has made a great mess of the word pastor. They tend to think the preacher is the pastor, but he isn't. The elder is the pastor. Elders are pastors. And as that word occurs, remember, it brings to mind the thought of a shepherd watching sheep. And that's the same word that's used to describe the office and the work of an elder. They are tending this flock, our elders here at least, and as such, they then occupy a role much like a shepherd does over a flock of sheep. Perhaps to keep that in mind, look at the next idea. Needless to say, given the importance of and the seriousness of the work that they do, it isn't shocking then that the God of heaven has put in place qualifications that a man must satisfy in order to serve as an elder. Now, those by themselves would be a topic for a different sermon. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, there are roughly 23 qualifications listed for the elder. That is to say, a man must satisfy each of them in order to be regarded as qualified to serve as an elder. I would say that that alone highlights elders, so important in the work and the role that God has for them that He put in place that list of qualifications. But as you, in fact, appreciate that listing, notice what comes next. Aren't you impressed that when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he referred to the congregation, but then he said, with the bishops and the deacons. Notice he listed these two offices. Those men that served as elders over the church in Philippi, Philippians 1 verse 1, they were singled out as, in as much as Paul referenced them, and notice in that reference, something about that office is highlighted. Today, then, may I ask that throughout the rest of this lesson, what would be some natural questions? So what does an elder do? How should his work be pictured or viewed? And what should be the reaction of the congregation to him? All of that simply begs a number of observations. Let's start at the bottom of this page. First of all, we know well that the Word of God teaches that there has to be at least two men to serve as the eldership in a given congregation. You cannot have but one elder. Every reference, every verse that identifies them always discusses there to be more than one. Must have at least two. But in that position, in that eldership, let's immediately note this. 
you and I know that there are occasions in life when some particular person may be elevated to a position and it is more or less a figurehead position. It's more or less merely an honor. The person really doesn't do much of anything. But that is not the case with the elder. It is not merely a title to be given as an honor to somebody. The elder, far from that, is a person spoken of in the following wording. Would you please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5? Maybe this is the clearest description that we have in such power and majesty about this concept before us. 1 Thessalonians 5, I'll simply read a couple of the verses out of that chapter. Beginning in verse 11, it reads as follows. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now those words are directed to the church at large. You comfort each other. You edify and strengthen and build up each other. Fine. Look at the next verse. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. As Paul addressed the church in Thessalonica, he pointed out that not only were they to encourage and edify and strengthen each other, but to be incredibly mindful of the fact that there were some over them. That's elders. As those elders are over them, now revisiting verse 12, it says, Know them which labor among you. The word labor means work. These men who are elders, they have a great work to do. And that work is often a very demanding work, and it's a very time-consuming work, and it requires a great deal of study and thought and effort. But notice the second thing. They're over you. Anybody who has ever been in a position of leadership over any kind of organization understands that it can be taxing to know how to do the right thing at the right time, to lead this group of people to be effective and productive and to carry out the mission that's been given to them. One has to be mindful of personalities, mindful of the best and efficient way to carry out things. Paul says these elders, not only do they labor among you, but they're over you, and it says they admonish you. That word admonish means to urge, to warn, to exhort. You see, elders, thus, three things about their work are here provided to us. May I again say, it isn't merely a figurehead. It's not just a title. There's much work in the eldership. Besides that, I have to say verse 13 till now, and to esteem them very highly in love. Why? For their work's sake. A congregation that has elders that carry out these things we've just studied, the text says you esteem them. You respect them, you honor them, you appreciate them. May I again say, and do this, not because they're occupying merely some title, but for their work's sake. And finally it says, and be at peace among yourselves. So the church in Thessalonica noticed they had elders, and Paul urged the congregation to appreciate them and esteem them. With those things in mind, our next slide then will bring us to what I've entitled the elder's charge. 
one of the things the ladies are going to study Tuesday night will cast a spotlight on the word charge and how powerful that word is. And when it occurs in the New Testament, it has reference to a commandment. It has reference to not just a suggestion, but what God demands that be done. Well, the elders too have been given a charge by God. We just listed some about the work that they do, but let's now cast a spotlight on their charge. As we do that, I'm going to perhaps invite us to walk a bit slowly, phrase by phrase, through a text in 1 Peter chapter 5. So may I encourage you to be turning there. And let's let God speak to us through the precious words of the Holy Scriptures. Remember our discussion about the authority of elders. What is it that Peter stated on this occasion? 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll start at verse number 1. The elders' charge. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now that's the first four verses of 1 Peter 5. And like I mentioned, now let's proceed a bit more slowly, beginning in the first part of verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort. The book of 1 Peter was written to a group of congregations in Asia Minor. You can go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and it lists that area, Bithynia, Cappadocia. But at any rate, they also had elders, these congregations did. And Peter wrote to those elders. Now, in regard to each one of them, Peter was quick to say, I exhort. Elders could get discouraged just like anybody else. I suspect any Christian can be a bit discouraged. You can become perhaps almost to be in despair. It can be frustrating. Peter wrote to encourage these elders in that area. You may notice though what he says next. Who am also an elder. Not only was Peter an apostle, he was also an elder. If you ever ask a question, you might keep that in mind. We have here biblical evidence that Peter was both an elder and an apostle. But you'll notice he goes on to say, Peter himself was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As we just read, he of course is talking about the wonderful church that Jesus died for. And now in that connection... Peter says, I saw his sufferings. I saw what happened at the cross. I saw the crucifixion. And I know about the body that he died to establish, the church. And I want to take care of it. And any godly elder would. He would never want to do anything to and on behalf of that church that Jesus would not be pleased with. Let's read on. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter said, I look forward to heaven. 
I look forward to the grandeur of the reappearing of the Master in which all who are faithful shall receive the blessed and eternal reward waiting them. Peter, you see, was confident of his salvation, wasn't he? Haven't you and I noticed, in fact, Brother Higginbotham shared with us a message during the gospel meeting about that, how sometimes we think, well, I hope I'm saved or I suspect I'm saved. If you and I are following the Lord, we can know we're saved. And that's not being arrogant. And that's not, in fact, speaking out of turn. Peter said, he was a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2. To those elders now, Peter said, feed. Feed, he said, the flock of God. Now again, we know he isn't talking about sheep, literal sheep. He's talking about the wonderful flock of God, the church for which Jesus died. And on that occasion, feed the flock of God. The first charge that an elder has is to feed the flock. Now again, you and I know just by appreciation of the word pastor that when a literal shepherd leads his flock to a place where there's pasture, that means there's sufficient grass for them, there's sufficient pasturage, there's sufficiency in terms of the things they need like water. Elders are given that charge with regard to that flock over which you rule. Feed them. Feed them. And so on that slide, may I ask you to notice... This explicit charge is also stated elsewhere in the Word of God. In Acts 20, verse 28, here Paul, different speaker, but it's a very similar message. Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus. And to them he said, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. There those elders were told to feed the flock. Did you notice as that statement, as that assertion was made in Acts 20, 28, that on that occasion, at that time, Paul directly said, Feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. May we pause to notice. Elders are not put in place by human opinion. They are put in place by a Holy Spirit appointment. When a congregation makes the choice to put a name of, of a certain man as an elder and then they agree to follow him, it's the Holy Spirit that's ordained him. It's the Holy Spirit that's put that man in place and he has power beyond what the congregation has merely acquiesced to him. For those reasons, notice they're to feed the flock of God. Now you'll notice at the bottom of that slide, how do they do this? There are many things, and the ladies are going to see a lengthy list Tuesday night. Just to think about a few of them. First of all, an eldership would want to, above all other things it would seem, ensure that the curriculum to which that congregation is exposed is sound. And it is the full gambit of the Word of God. Paul would say in Acts 20, 27, I shunned not to preach the whole counsel of God. Elders ought not be in the business of telling the preacher, don't you preach on this. Be best not to address that topic. If it's a Bible topic, it needs to be preached. And it needs to be discussed and individuals are going to answer to it someday. Better to know about it now. 
and therefore a full and sound appreciation of the Word of God. That would include not only from sermons, but Bible classes. For all ages, the curriculum needs to be appreciated as sound and godly and biblical. Therefore, it is all inappropriate for an eldership to look over the curriculum that's even being taught in the younger classes to ensure that it's godly and right. What about other things, though? Not only would those be included. Look at that bottom list. An eldership may thus choose to have a gospel meeting where a speaker is selected who presents lessons of soundness and power that challenges and urges faithfulness. We, of course, have just had one. But isn't it true? You could add so many other things. That eldership may make use of tracks, and we have several in our foyer. Radio programs, other pieces of literature. We, of course, subscribe, and four times a year we receive the, the spiritual sword. And our elders make those available to each of us. Do you take them and read them? Do you? Our elders have chosen that as a venue, a means by which the truth is presented to us to encourage us and to feed us. May we take the consideration with some seriousness. Could we add some more things? What about lectureships? Some congregations choose to sponsor these, perhaps with vacation Bible schools and otherwise. Perhaps finally, you can think about the other avenues such as radio programs and other matters. All of that is to say those are means by which elders feed or make opportunities of availing oneself of that nutrition from the Word of God. On the next slide, you'll note the following. Peter had more to say. Verse number 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Those four little words are stirring. Notice that it's the flock that's among those elders. That again teaches us that the eldership has authority over that local flock only. The elders of one congregation have no authority over the elders of another one because they're not among them. And so here at Pippin, our elders have authority here. Not somewhere else, not at some other location of some other congregation of the Lord's people. It is true then among you. But isn't it true in addition to that, doesn't that have another implication that's so significant for us? To elders it is thus said, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Picture the following scenario. Several different shepherds are each tending his own flock. But there's a sheep wandering around in the group and no shepherd knows which flock that sheep's actually a part of. Is this sheep one of mine? Is it one of yours? Is it one of his? Point is, the church isn't to be that way either. We know that that means that sheep is not receiving the care and the guidance and the instruction or in the pasturage it ought to receive. It's not a member of any place over which a given shepherd is watching it. But so too in the church. Elders need to know who is in their flock and who is not. That means placing membership is not only important, it's scriptural. Our elders need to know who they're watching over. 
They need to know who they're tending and who it is they're supposed to be providing pasturage to. Therefore, it's entirely right when an individual or a family comes to a place. We want to place membership at this location, and we want to be under the oversight of you elders. That's a right thing to do. Wouldn't it be a shocking thing to imagine any other way? Notice the elders need to know who's among them. Peter said so in the verse before us. Let's read on. Taking the oversight thereof. Make no mistake about it, elders have oversight. That is to say, they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to make decisions that aren't given to the rest of us. They occupy a position of authority, taking the oversight thereof. He quickly says, not by constraint. Now, an elder can't elevate himself and begin to make these decisions. It says, but willingly. His name is put before this group, and if installed, they have agreed to follow him. They have committed themselves in a faithful pact to be a part of the flock over which he rules. It goes on to say, never, of course, for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Aren't you impressed with this description? And Peter said, I am an elder. And I can thus speak not only from the authority of being one, but by a revelation of Jesus Christ concerning them. As you'll notice on that slide, it does say this in verse number 3, Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You may wonder what that means. If they have oversight, how are they not to be lords over God's heritage? That explanation is easy. May you and I never forget the basic matters of doctrine have long ago been decided. An elder has no right to dictate the doctrine of the church. It isn't his church. Jesus Christ is the one who is the head. Colossians 1.18 again reads for us, He, that's Jesus, is the head of the church, the body, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Even though Jesus is the head, you notice then that these elders fully comply with the dictates of what the will of the Lord is. Now, certainly as you and I can appreciate, it now says this, but being in samples to the flock. Oh, it's true, the life of an elder should be one to whom the flock can look and see the example of godliness, the example of dedication and commitment to the truth of God, and his life will be one that should exemplify those matters of fidelity and faithfulness. He's an example. Surely in that light, it says, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd, notice they're each shepherds, they're pastors, but when the chief shepherd, who of course is Jesus Christ, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that will not fade away. Now on that slide before us, I've asked you to notice near its bottom, the closing part of it, a number of passages that refer to the doctrine. And again, elders don't determine doctrine. Texts such as Romans 6, 17. Texts such as Romans 16, verse 17, all remind us that Jesus Christ is the one who solidified the doctrine. But isn't it true, elders often make decisions on matters of expediency. How do we carry out this command God has given, and how do we do it most effectively? 
And how do we do it most effectually? Elders do make decisions in that light. For those reasons, let's close that slide like this. The elder's charge leads us to one more verse, and we'll use it to basically finish our lesson this morning. We've looked at least in a little detail at 1 Peter 5. Go back to Hebrews 13. This was the lesson text. John read this in our hearing earlier today. Verse 17 speaks with some directness to each of us as it relates to the eldership. And therefore, let's give it some consideration. Hebrews 13, verse number 17. That verse reads as follows, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. There is much included in that verse, isn't there? One more time, if I could just invite a brief but yet somewhat phrase-by-phrase consideration, I believe it would be worth our while. Might we begin like this? I checked six different translations, and all of them start exactly the same way. Obey them. The word them refers to elders. And this statement is given to the congregation over which they rule. You obey them. That word obey comes from an original word, as you can see, that means to listen to. Now may I say, don't just hear what they say, but it means to listen to, to yield to, to comply with. If I could paraphrase, it means do what they tell you to do. Do what they persuade you to do. The original word carries a strong emphasis on calling someone to your side. These elders are making this assertion, this declaration. They're making this teaching, this statement, calling you to the side of truthfulness. Do what they say. I would submit in many times, there's a strong temptation, I suppose, that seems common. There's a congregation, and that congregation has some elders, and folks seem to think they're on the same level with those elders. I'll follow what they say as long as I agree with it. I'll do what they say as long as it's convenient for me. But the very first time, in any way, I have even the slightest different feeling about it, I'm not going to do it. If you and I feel that way, we're directly violating Hebrews 13, 17. A child doesn't just obey his parents when he feels like it, does he? Do you call that obedience if that's what he does? Of course not. Obedience means to do what you're told to do. To do what is asserted to you to do, whether you like it or not. Whether you're comfortable with it or not. Now again, we aren't talking about matters of doctrine. If in any eldership, they were to make a determination that is not in agreement with the Bible, you'd have to stand against them. But in matters of expediency, in matters of judgment... The congregation is commanded to obey them. Let's read on. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Submit yourself. You'll notice on the slide, 
as that word is used in various places in the Word of God, we, we understand what it means to submit. Wives submit themselves to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. Ephesians 5, 21 and following. We understand what that means in exactly the same way, or at least in parallel fashion. The congregation is told, you submit to them. And therefore, when they make a decision, a determination, a judgment, again, nothing unscriptural about it, we need to follow them. For instance, when they set times for services, they're watching for my soul. I need to be here. If I possibly can be, if I'm not, I'm directly violating this verse. And as you read on, it specifically says, For they watch for your souls. Again, the elders are not simply a figurehead position. It's not just some title, some placement wherein one is honored to have it. Oh, no doubt it is an honor. But how much work is involved as they watch for the souls of every member of their flock? Is this person going to heaven the way they're currently living? If so, they'll lift up your hands and encourage you. But if they're not, if you're not, it's their charge, it's their task to speak to you. You know, we've been a bit concerned. You've missed some services lately. Is everything okay? Can we help you? Do we need to offer some assistance in some way? And the last thing you and I ought to do is get defensive if they approach us that way. Because they're watching for our soul. Why? Because the next phrase says, as they that must give account. They're going to have to answer to God one day for the degree in which they've watched over the flock over which they're ruling. And what a serious position that'll be. And they have taken upon themselves the responsibility to serve as an elder, as they that must give account on the day of judgment. The Hebrew writer, however, is it finished, that they may do it with joy. Don't you love that phrase? It should be our goal, it should be every one of us in terms of our goal, that the elders have no trouble out of me. They should with joy be able to speak about this person is a member, that person is a member. He or she is faithful, they're workers for the Lord, and they do what the Word of God encourages of them. That's a joyful kind of response they'll be able to give. But look at the next one. And not with grief. May I say to you, if you and I are making headaches for our elders, that's not good. If we are causing our elders to have sleepless nights, if by the way I'm living I cause one of my elders to have sleepless nights over my choices and my conduct, the Hebrew writer says that's not profitable for you. We each need to be living in a way to make the elders' life easy, at least as far as his leadership of the church. We don't need to be causing them trouble. We don't need to be making decisions that, again, would lead them to have to challenge us. You shouldn't be dressing this way. You shouldn't be talking this way. You shouldn't be going to these kind of places. Because if, if they're having to approach us that way, it says that's not profitable for me. We've studied the elders and the authority of them so far today. As you come near the close of that slide, 
Only one final comment, the lesson is yours. The eldership is a part of God's infinite wisdom. You know, he could have chosen, I suppose, any number of ways to organize his church. And clearly, in his infinite wisdom, he chose the best. And that best includes having elders. It would be the will of God that every congregation of the Lord's people have elders. I know there are some that don't because there's no men qualified. But hopefully there will be men qualified in time to come for those places. But when a congregation does have elders, those elders have authority. And each of us are told, obey them. As they draw us close to the side of faithfulness, obey them. And therefore, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, To those who do rule well, and note the word rule, those that rule well, they're worthy of double honor. The lesson closes like this. We have given some consideration to the authority of the eldership. I know that there are many today who would look upon this and frown somewhat relative to some of these verses we've read. My opinion is not the same as the assertions of a man who is an elder. He has been given oversight. May we appreciate them, hold up their hands in faithfulness, and live in such a way to make their life one of joy and not one of grief. Today, what about your life and mine? Are we living in such a way that the elders have little trouble out of my choices and yours? Or are you choosing to live in a way that brings grief to them? May I suggest, if it's the latter, please repent. Please make some changes. Follow the things of the Word of God so that you can, in fact, walk in step with the faithful members of the congregation. If today there might be someone in the audience who has never obeyed the sweet name of Jesus as your Savior, understand the elders serve the chief shepherd who is Jesus. It's His church. It's His gospel. It's His doctrine. They aren't trying to usurp their own speculations. And so in that light, a faithful elder will encourage and stand fast upon the Word of God, Titus 1 verse 9. In fact, that's the only sound doctrine. That sound doctrine includes this. To be a Christian, you must believe in Jesus as a Son of God. You must repent of your sins and confess His great name as the Son of God and be baptized. That's the only way to be introduced into the church. If you've done that, may I say, be faithful unto death, Revelation 2 verse 10. If we could assist anyone in being rededicated to the cause of faithfulness today, perhaps as a wayward child of God, don't you know the Lord still loves you? He hasn't given up on you, though you may have given up on yourself. Why not come back to your first love? He'll wrap His arms of encouragement and strength around you, and we as this church will do the same. If we could be of help to you in either of those ways, let us know the way we can assist. While together we stand and while we sing.